you all are doing well. I hope that you're feeling well. I hope that you're getting out into the sunshine and getting some walks in. I don't know about you, but for me, walking is like therapy. (laughs) Jake and I took a walk today and um, I got started into a whole bunch of conspiracy theories. So he was stuck with me for two and a half miles, but we had a good time, or at least I did anyways. So today's podcast is on another name of God. And I love looking at the names of God because they represent who he is and they tell us about his his character, his characteristics. And the first name we looked at was Elohim, which describes God as our creator. He's the God who can create something out of nothing. The second name of God that we're going to look at is the name Jehovah. Jehovah is one of the main names that God uses for himself. In fact, it's used as his name over 7,000 times in scripture. The first time we see this name of God in scripture is in Genesis 2-4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens of the earth when they were created. In the day of the Lord, or Jehovah, God, or Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. There is actually another name here for God, Jehovah, in the Hebrew language that describes his name as Y-H-W-H. We add the vowels in so that the name is pronounced Yahweh, but we're just guessing at the pronunciation. We find out later in scripture that this is the personal name of God. If you were to ask me, what's your name? I would tell you my name's Lori. But if you were to ask God what his name is, he would tell you his name is Jehovah or Yahweh. In fact, even in today's society, the Orthodox Jews will not say the name Jehovah or Yahweh because they believe it to be too reverent a name. It's, it's too personal a name. So when reading scripture, they'll substitute for the name Jehovah with Lord. Whenever you read scripture with the name that has Lord in all capitals, what you're reading is really his name, which is Jehovah. Even though we are given the name Jehovah in the book of Genesis, it really isn't until Exodus that we find out where God first gave his personal name out. We find this story in Exodus chapter 3. It's the story of Moses. And if you're not familiar with Moses' story, let me explain it to you. So we have Abraham, who has his son Isaac, who has a son Jacob. And then Jacob has what are known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons is his son Joseph. And Joseph was one of or Joseph was his favorite. I think you've probably heard of Joseph and his coat of many colors. And you can imagine how knowing that your parent has a favorite child would go over with the rest of the children, which didn't settle well with them. So his brothers, the the other uh, 10, the older 10, decided that it would be great to sell Joseph to some traveling Egyptians and 
then tell his father that he died. So Joseph gets sold to these Egyptians who then put him into slavery and he works for a guy and then he ends up in prison and he's in prison for a while. And you, you can imagine if you're Joseph, you're thinking, wow, this is not really how I thought my life was going to end up. But through it all, Joseph remained faithful to God and God remained faithful to him. God had a bigger plan and purpose for Joseph that I'm sure sitting in prison, Joseph couldn't even understand. See, God used Joseph to interpret dreams for the Pharaoh of Egypt, which ended up saving them from this terrible drought that crossed the land. And because of that, Pharaoh ends up making Joseph second in charge of all the land of Egypt. And then because of the drought, God also orchestrates that his brothers have to come down to Egypt because they need food and they're reunited with Joseph. And, and then Joseph encourages them and they, to come down to Egypt. So they all move. There's about now 70 of them in Jacob's family that are now the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, and they come down to Egypt and they're blessed there. Pharaoh says, hey, take this land. They take the land and they have lots and lots of babies. And then actually 400 years later, now there's this whole tribe of Israel and they forget who Joseph was. They, they don't remember. And the new Pharaoh is looking around and he's like, I don't know how this really happened, but there's all these people that are clearly not Egyptians. They're Israelites. And they, if they wanted to, they could actually like rise up against us. And so in order to make sure that the Egyptians were never put in that position, they decided to make the Israelites slaves. And so in order to make them slaves, they, they made them make bricks. They kept them busy, hoping that they would be so tired from all of their work that they would not have as many children, if you get what I'm saying. But God blessed them, and they still continued to multiply and have lots of children. So then Pharaoh said to the midwives, the Egyptian midwives who helped the Israelite women to give birth. And they said, he said to them, if there is a male born to the Israelites, you need to kill them. You can let the, the girls live, but the boys need to die. But the midwives saw how God had blessed Israel and they're like, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go against this God. We just can't do that. And so they weren't doing that. So then Pharaoh said, fine, we're just going to go in and we're just going to kill all the babies. Well, this is where we pick up the story of Moses. His mother has him. And, you know, when they're little, you can they have the little cry and you can keep them pretty quiet. But eventually the babies become pretty noisy and so in order to keep Moses safe, his mother made this basket and she would take him down to the Nile River and put him in the reeds so that he wouldn't be noticed. Well, wouldn't you know it, on a day that she puts him in this basket in the river, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river and what happens? Well, she hears a baby cry and she has somebody go over and get the little basket. They open it up. 
and there's this darling baby boy. And like most women, she fell in love with this baby and she thought it would be a great idea to take this little Hebrew baby and make him her son. And Moses's sister happened to be there. She ran up and she's like, you're never going to believe this, but I know a woman who will nurse this baby for you until he's weaned. And of course, God orchestrated all of this. Moses's mother got to continue to nurse and raise her baby until he was old enough to be weaned to go and live in the palace. So Moses, who is a Hebrew, he's growing up in the opulence of the palace under Pharaoh. He's the grandson of Pharaoh. He has probably lots of opportunities that clearly his people don't have. And in the middle of his life, when he's about 40-ish, he came outside and he saw one of the Egyptian guards beating one of the Hebrew men. And he intervened and ended up killing the Egyptian guard. And people saw him. And now he's got a problem, right? Because he is a Hebrew living in the house of Pharaoh, who has Hebrews as slaves. So you can imagine this didn't go well. And he had to flee for his life. So Moses runs. And he runs through the desert. And he finds his way through the desert into the land of Midian. And there at Midian, he ends up meeting his wife and he ends up becoming a shepherd for his father-in-law. Now, can I stop right here and remind you that Moses went from the lap of luxury, basically, to the desert hills alone watching smelly sheep. (laughs) And Like I said, this was in the middle of his life, and I'm sure he was thinking that life really hadn't turned out as he expected it. But what he didn't realize was that he was about to meet God, and God had bigger plans and a bigger purpose for his life than sitting in a palace. In fact, this lowly job of shepherding these stinky, smelly sheep was going to come in quite handy when he had to shepherd the whole people of Israel. He was in training, and he didn't even know it. Someone out there, um, me included, may feel like life hasn't turned out like we wanted or like we expected, and instead of a palace, we're in a hot desert watching sheep. Let me tell you something. Jehovah is not done with your story. He is preparing you for what he has prepared for you. So in this time of the mundane, you need to do it with purpose, knowing that what's to come is so important. Don't waste this time in the desert because God has something that's bigger than what you can see right now. So Moses is out in the desert and he's watching the sheep. And he sees something interesting. There is a bush and it's burning. Now, that's not necessarily unusual for the desert. In an arid climate, sometimes these things can happen. But what was weird about it was that the bush wasn't burning up. So Moses walks towards this anomaly and the bush 
calls out his name. <laughs> and this is probably where I would need a fresh pair of underwear because somebody calling out my name from a burning bush might freak me out just a little bit. But Moses answers the bush and the bush then tells him to take off his sandals because he is on holy ground. Now, it wasn't the desert ground that was holy. It was because Jehovah was there with him. Side note, if something in your life that God is doing doesn't make sense to you, it could be because he's ready to reveal something new about himself in your life that you've never seen before. So take those burning bush moments and Watch out for what God is going to do next in your life. So Moses clearly knows that this is supernatural. And God explains to him his plan for Moses, how he wants Moses to go down to Egypt, how he wants Moses to rescue the Israelites. Um, Moses has a few problems with this. And one is that he's going to show up and tell the Israelites to go with him. But he says to the burning bush, like, I'm supposed to convince these people to go with me. But when they ask me, like, who gave you the authority to come and tell us to go with you? Who am I supposed to say sent me? And in Exodus 3.14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And this is translated to the verb to be. It's an action. I remember Greg teaching on this one time and he described it as I be who I be. And he said, that's bad grammar, but amazing theology. And it is the whole time God is explaining what he has planned for Moses and Israel. He's describing his name. See, Jehovah means I am who I am. God is self-sufficient, he's self-existent, he's the all-eternal God. He is in action in the present because he exists in the present. But there's so much more than that. Jehovah knows about where Moses is right at that very time. And he knows where Israel is. He knows where they've been. He knows where they're going. Jehovah gives his name to Moses so that Moses and the Israelites will know that Jehovah wants a personal relationship with them. Elohim, God can create something out of nothing. Jehovah, God wants to be a personal God. Jehovah wants Moses and the Israelites to know that he cares for them. And can I tell you something? Jehovah cares for you. Jehovah wants more than anything to have a personal relationship with you. I can't help but think with Good Friday coming up about how God became personal with us in the person of Jesus. Jesus becoming human was all about God becoming personal with us. Did you know that the only name of God that Jesus ever referred to himself as was Jehovah? 
In John chapter 8, we see the Jewish people asking Jesus who he thinks he is and if he thinks that he's greater than Abraham. And Jesus answers them in verse 58. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am or Jehovah. And the Jewish people clearly understood what he was saying. And it was so blasphemous that Jesus was comparing himself to God that they picked up stones to throw at him to kill him. Jesus is the great I am. And he wants a personal relationship with you. That's what Good Friday is all about. Jesus went to the cross and died for you and me so that we can have eternal life in heaven with him if we accept him to be our savior. So many people think that they can just do religion their own way. But just as Moses was told to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground, there's also things that we have to do to have a personal relationship with Jesus. He is the holy Jehovah. We need to come to him ask for forgiveness of our sins, and ask him to be the Lord of our lives. Only by believing in him and what he has done for us by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead can we have eternal life in heaven with him. Just so you understand, everyone has eternal life, but not everyone has eternal life in heaven. There's one of two places we're either going to heaven or we're going to hell, but each of us will have eternal life. What we need to do is ask Jesus to be our Savior so we have eternal life in heaven with Him. Friends, there's no better time than right now to receive Jesus as your Savior. Only in Jesus can we know that we have eternal life in heaven for our beautifully broken lives. Let me pray for you, friend. Lord, thank you so much that we can call you Jehovah. Thank you so much that you want a personal relationship with us. Not only are you the amazing, awesome creator, but you're the amazing, awesome creator that wants a personal relationship with us. God, I pray that this week, if we find ourselves in the desert watching sheep, that we will be obedient and humble and faithful to you to know that you are preparing us for what you have prepared for us. God, I pray for my friends that don't know you as their Savior, that this week that they would make that decision to ask you to come into their lives and to be their personal Lord and Savior. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.